Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our podcast studio Dr. Nicole Cook. Dr. Cook is the Augusta Baker Endowed Chair and Associate Professor at the University of South Carolina School of Library and Information Science. Her research and teaching interests include human information behavior, critical cultural information studies, and diversity and social justice in librarianship. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And um, for our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the USC School of Library and Information Science. Sure. So I am an associate professor and, as you mentioned, also the Augusta Baker Endow Chair. Uh, And I'm at the School of Library and Information Science. So sometimes I have to say to people, I don't work in the library, but Mm -hmm. I work with the aspiring librarians. Mm -hmm. So we have our graduate program. We also have an undergrad program, PhD program so we're preparing all of the students uh, for information science work whatever that looks like so for the most part uh, these are aspiring librarians but you know some of our PhD students will go on to be faculty work in industry etc so that's what I'm doing here um, and at the school my focus is on essentially social justice equity diversity and inclusion And so these are classes that I've taught previously at another institution, and this was also the work that I did as a practitioner. So before coming to faculty life, I worked in an academic library for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. I had a brief stint in a medical library, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm and my first job out of library school was actually in children's services. Okay. Um, yeah. So I we was have we have that in common because mm-hmm. my first job was shelving children's books, and you would think that would be a deterrent. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. No. You know, for me, it was almost the the opposite in the sense that I loved the books mm-hmm. um, and didn't really fully understand what it meant to work with children that age. Mm. So I remember, you know, I got out of library school mm-hmm. and the very next month I was working at a public library and they had just started summer reading club. Mm. I had no idea what that meant. And you would think that would be a deterrent. Oh, that that one was. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And you know, my first task was to do um, story time for six month olds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I like to say those babies broke me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, do like to let particularly librarians know that I did work in in the field for many years and mm-hmm. I still consider myself to be a librarian even though I'm in a different mm-hmm. capacity sure. uh, in the profession. And what does it mean to be the Augusta Baker Endowed Chair? Who was Augusta Baker and what yeah. is what is the Endowed yeah. Chair? Yeah, what does all yeah. that mean? So Endowed Chair is uh, essentially fancy academic talk, um, but it is um, a very special position. Uh, We have very few of them in library and information science and you will see them in higher ed generally. Mm -hmm. So it's usually named for a person uh, that has some type of legacy that did something really important for the field. Uh, And the chair position is in honor of that person and is designed to uh, extend that legacy in some way. So in this case, Augusta Baker was a legendary, uh, just really fascinating uh, African-American librarian. Uh, She had an illustrious career at the New York Public Library, and she worked there for almost 40 years. And she started there in the late 30s and worked through the 40s, 50s, and in a really, you know, very different time. So every time she advanced in the New York Public Library system and eventually 
she was in charge of all the children's branches, and there are about 82 of them. Mm. Uh, she was the first African-American, much less the first African-American woman, mm -hmm. uh, to hold all of these positions. So she really was a trail trailblazer mm -hmm. um, and did a lot for the profession, did a lot for people of color in librarianship. Mm -hmm. And so once she finished, um, once she retired from New York Public, uh, and before she retired, she was teaching storytelling. So she's also known as a legendary storyteller, mm -hmm. and her storytelling method uh, is adopted widely by mm -hmm. lots of storytellers. Uh, so she taught at Columbia University. She taught at Rutgers University. She taught at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, and she constantly taught these classes. So she definitely affected multiple generations of librarians. Um, but to go back, after she retired from New York Public, she came to University of South Carolina here at the library school, and she was a storyteller in residence for many years. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, um, Richland Library has the Augusta Baker Storytelling Festival. They call it the Augusta, Augusta Baker's Dozen, mm -hmm. um, and that's been running for decades um, and really, again, goes to extend her legacy, uh, particularly in uh, storytelling. So in this role as the endowed chair, I will be working with Richland on the Storytelling Festival, and then in my work, and then in my training and outreach and teaching, I will be working to extend her legacy as it pertains uh, to librarianship and diversity. And you know, it's, um, I've, I've been in libraries so long, I actually had to, and this is talking maybe 30 years <laughs> ago, I was a graduate assistant at the library school here and I had to drop off something to her house. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I remember her being just this bigger than life yes. character. You know, yes. she was just the coolest person. Yes. I'm, I'm looking, uh, this semester I've started working in her papers mm -hmm. um, over at the archives and she loved a camera. Mm -hmm. And just what you're saying, you can see this personality through mm -hmm. her pictures. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of pictures and a couple of newspaper clippings um, from her storytelling events around Columbia. Uh, one uh, particularly was at the Capitol. And she's on the steps, and there are just hundreds of children mm -hmm. um, around listening to her tell the stories. Mm -hmm. And you can just see through those pictures that she had them eating out of the palm of her hand and she was just this larger than life mm -hmm. presence and everyone was just enamored. And her voice, her. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. hearing her voice and she, she could be mesmerizing, mm -hmm. you know, and telling mm -hmm. a story mm -hmm. and you want to listen to every right. nuance of that right. story. Right, that was so Yeah, cool. she is, you know, unfortunately did not have the opportunity to meet her, but just really proud to be in this mm -hmm. position named for her and mm -hmm. to, you know, see what a dynamic woman she was and what she did in, uh, for the profession and how she impacted so many people. Mm -hmm. um, you were recently a keynote at our EDI staff exchange, and EDI is Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And we have here an Inclusive Services Center at the mm -hmm. South Carolina State Library, and um, Caroline Smith is our Inclusive Services Consultant. So that's something uh, new for us, mm -hmm. and it's a great um, asset that we have here at the State Library. But um, at this EDI staff exchange, which I also attended and also was able to record your presentation, mm -hmm. which is available on our YouTube channel. So I would encourage folks to, you can just Google South Carolina State Library and uh, look at our YouTube channel and um, find Dr. Cook's presentation there. But one of the things um, 
that you talked about was decolonizing the profession. And as part of your keynote, can you talk a little bit about what that means? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned, uh, even as a practitioner, my service work was always about uh, recruiting and retaining uh, diverse staff mm -hmm. for the profession. And then, you know, subsequently, this, these are the classes that I teach. And so recently, uh, in different higher ed circles, you'll see blog posts and people talking about either decolonizing the syllabus mm -hmm. uh, or decolonizing your bookshelf. Mm -hmm. um, you'll also see um, decolonizing the curriculum. There's and there's actually T-shirts and things you know associated mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. with this. And so essentially, what this means is that in the United States we have a Western view, mm -hmm. and what that further means is that we are socialized to value certain things. Mm -hmm. So in this case we are socialized to value things that are associated with white culture, that are associated with Christian culture, mm -hmm. that are- White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. absolutely, yeah. and that's mm -hmm. exactly what that is. And so when we're talking about what we're reading, what we're engaging with, what we're learning, what we're taught to value, we're leaving out just about the rest of the world, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So we're leaving out all of uh, the folks of color, we're leaving out the different religions, we're leaving out different cultures. Mm -hmm. So essentially um, decolonizing means we need to pull back and we need to re-examine what we consider to be the canon, mm -hmm. what we consider to be you know, worthwhile, mm -hmm. uh, and include more voices. And so when I do presentations on this, I have to be sure to make the point that this is not about erasure. This mm -hmm. is not about devaluing what's previously been in the canon. This is strictly about adding and extending mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that canon. So. When I was teaching and, you know, when I do training sessions, um, I realized this is the work that I had been doing along with lots of other colleagues mm -hmm. and had not been calling it as such. And so with lots of other things, um, we bring this terminology into the profession uh, to talk to librarians and information professionals about decolonizing our practice. Mm -hmm. So, for example, children's librarians, are there children's books that represent other cultures, mm -hmm. and we're not necessarily just talking strictly about historical. Mm -hmm. um, but right, because you lo you look at a children's book cover, and it's usually a little, little white girl or right, a little white boy. Right. You know. And also, what we're seeing is that there are a lot of trucks and animals and inanimate objects yeah. mm -hmm. because it's easier to write about a truck than it is a little brown and, person and anthropomorphize it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know, similarly, if you're dealing with uh, someone who's doing collection development for adults. What does your collection look like? Are your diverse patrons going to be able to identify and see themselves in your collection? Mm -hmm. um, same with programming, same with most things that we do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying decolonizing, uh, for me, the curriculum, mm -hmm. the syllabus, and the profession. Mm -hmm. um, what got you originally interested in this area? Uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. yeah. so. You know, for the, the viewers, or excuse me, the listeners who may not uh, have seen me, I, I'm, I'm an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, you know, part of my identity in life and, and in the profession and trying to, if you will, break certain barriers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Augusta Baker was a woman of many firsts. Mm -hmm. And even in my career in, you know, the 2000s and now we're approaching 2020, there mm -hmm. are still a lot of firsts that I'm achieving mm -hmm. in the profession. Mm -hmm. So 
to answer your question, the short answer is I live it, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I will tell you a, a short anecdote. Um, I used to work at the University of Illinois mm -hmm. um, at their library school. Mm -hmm. And I went to be faculty there to teach public services. Mm -hmm. So I was going to teach people how to do reference instruction, mm -hmm. things of that nature. So when I got there, um, I was immediately faced with a lot of students and some actually said to me, you are the first professor that I had, that I've had, that doesn't look like me, hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that meaning that they've never had a professor of color, mm -hmm. right? And so for the most part, people took that as, oh, this is great. You mm -hmm. know, we're gonna have some new perspective and things of that nature. Um, but I did have one or two that pushed back hmm. um, and j really did not like the fact that I was going to be the authority in the classroom. Hmm. And I had a couple of really challenging uh, interactions where I thought, well, I'm gonna lose this job that I just got because hmm. I, I'm not going to allow this person to speak to me in that manner. Sure. Uh -huh. So that got me into this thinking of, I have to do something mm -hmm. in this curriculum and in this school because at that point there was no real diversity curriculum or mm -hmm. initiatives. And so I'm feeling like if these students are leaving this program mm -hmm. and are having difficulty dealing with me, mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to deal in a, an effective, compassionate way with diverse patrons. Right. And I feel like as a professor, um, I would be doing a disservice to them, to mm -hmm. myself, and mm -hmm. to the field. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really how I got into it as a, a real formalized plan of study and teaching. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I created a course called Information Services to Diverse Populations. Mm and subsequently wrote a book um, about that class. And that's just a survey to, these are the types of populations and diverse communities that you will see in your libraries. Mm -hmm. um, I also uh, revised two courses uh, at the school. One was entitled Race, Gender, and Sexuality in the Information Professions. Mm. And the other was Social Justice in the Information Professions. Mm -hmm. And so I came up really with this suite of courses Mm -hmm. um, I wanted students to have the opportunity to have a solid foundation uh, in diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice before they went out into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So I think I did good work there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were elective courses, which is, you know, kind of par for the course. Um, but there were lots of people that tracked their way through mm -hmm. all of these courses mm -hmm. and are doing just really amazing work in their own libraries and really just have this social justice lens through which mm -hmm. they do their their work and how they interact with people. So these are classes that I'm, I've brought with me uh, to South Carolina. So I will be putting... Thank you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> happy to do it. Um, you know, that was one of the things, you know, when I interviewed, I said, can I bring these classes with me? They mm -hmm. were like, yes, that's why we called you. Uh -huh. um, so we'll start in uh, January 2020 okay. with uh, diverse populations. Mm -hmm. And then in fall of 2020, I think I'm going to collapse the social justice and mm -hmm. race, gender, and sexuality into one course. Okay. And we'll call that critical information studies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I'm also thinking and working on a class about uh, social justice storytelling, mm, right? So that brings me back a little bit to Augusta Baker and her legacy, but this is really about 
how do libraries tell their stories mm -hmm. and how do we do that well? Mm -hmm. um, so it could be through podcasting, it could be through uh, public speaking, mm -hmm. but how are we going to let our communities know what we're doing for them, mm -hmm. right? There are lots of uh, examples uh, that come up in the news about librarians caring for their community or doing, you know, opening during a fire or an uprising or some mm -hmm, such. Mm -hmm. And the reaction is always, oh my goodness, I didn't know libraries did that. Right. Um, and yes, libraries mm -hmm. do that. That's what we do every day. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be more proactive and we need to be better about telling our constituents, our stakeholders, our community members, what we do and we, that we do it well. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things as you were talking about that came up into my mind. I've, I've been here at the State Library for 25 years, mm -hmm. and I've always thought of libraries as being inclusive and, you know, welcoming anyone, no matter race, age, gender, identity, anything, um, and providing them with the information access that they need. However, it's only been within this last year or two that we, as a state library, have an inclusive services center and are doing, we're doing programming about inclusive services and equity, diversity, and inclusion. And, you know, it's interesting to me that it would take so long to get to this point. So why do you think, just professionally, you think it's taken so long to get to this point? Yeah, you know, I, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and just, you know, in my trajectory as an information professional, and I'm over 20 years mm -hmm. in, in the field at this point, and just seeing how diversity uh, comes in waves, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's trendy, and there's a lot of talk about it, and oh, let's do a couple of programs, let's read a couple of articles, right. and then it swings back the other way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, this time in the last couple of years, as you mentioned, I think it is, uh, for lack of better phrasing, it's sticking more. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I mean, as it came back again in the last couple of years, we've got uh, new refugee populations. Mm. We've got more new Americans than we've had in a very long time. We've got all of these new, and, and I say new in air quotes, right? They're not new, but just right. emerging more fully again. And also just the changes in general at the national level yes, when it comes absolutely. to politics and religion, absolutely. which we won't go down that right, rabbit hole. Right. But, you know, yeah. those kinds of things, um, big, yeah. big effects as well. Yeah. And I think that's um, certainly influenced um, mm -hmm. a lot. And, and, you know, also what I've seen, and I've been, uh, this is my eighth year as a faculty member. Mm -hmm. Um, even since I started as faculty member, there are so many more researchers and educators in this area. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a better foundation than we ever did before in that capacity. Um, I used to be the only one or one of the only ones who did the type of work that I, that I do. Mm -hmm. And now there's a, a whole, you know, um, group of us that do this work. And I think, you know, we are having more of a ripple effect, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And folks like you and uh, the other folks at the state library who are consistent in this work mm -hmm. and it's just having more impact mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's just reaching more people. So I think that's why we're seeing much more of it to the point where it actually might look new to people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? And it's the same way with communications in yep. libraries. We were talking about that background you have in communications as mm -hmm, well with your mm -hmm, bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. But it's like the time I've been here, you know, I've seen where we've had a part-time PR person right. to now as me being the director of communications, 
I have a department of four. Right. And like the Charleston Public Library, they, you know, they, libraries are hiring mm -hmm. people who have worked in front of a camera. Yes. You know, as yes. a broadcast journalist, yes. you yes. know, so it's fascinating yeah. to see those changes. And I, and I think that speaks to, um, you know, at, at SLIS here at uh, University of South Carolina, we talk a lot about community literacy mm -hmm. and, you know, being fluent in all dimensions of the community. And I think what you're saying speaks to that, right? We're realizing and, and really accommodating all of the different needs of the community and really trying to put out all of the different things that the library does and can do. And mm -hmm. in order to do that, mm -hmm. um, we need teams of PR folks and marketing professionals and, and folks who can help us tell those stories. One of the things that I've kind of preached in the last 10 years is that Libraries are no longer in a if you build it, they will come mode. <laughs> no, you know, we have to really promote yes. what it is we do. Yes. And I see there's a wonderful synergy between inclusivity, equity, diversity, and promotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one of the things Charleston Public Library, I keep going back to Charleston, mm -hmm. but they've been doing um, a series called The Human Library, where they're actually right. bringing people right. of... Uh, diverse backgrounds and, um, you know, like uh, having people who are transgender come mm -hmm, in and talk mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to a room full of people. And they're also, you know, video recording mm -hmm, it and sharing mm -hmm. it on social media. And yeah. it's really fascinating to see that change. And I don't know, looking back, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, I don't think I would have been able to predict this. Agreed. Agreed. And I think not only I don't think we would have been able to predict it. I don't think, I think some of the programs that are commonplace for us now and mm -hmm. are really exciting, mm -hmm. um, I don't think they would have been allowed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're talking about the human library, there's uh, drag queen story time, we're seeing mm -hmm. lots of protests yep. and things about that. Mm -hmm. um, but libraries are doing them anyway, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. we need to reflect every part of our community, not just a couple that are exactly. the ones that are palatable or the ones that don't cause a commotion, et cetera, right. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting changes. Yeah, and, and you know, and just- And was, good changes. Yes, absolutely, and I hope that these are changes that we will see continue, mm -hmm. right, and not mm -hmm. uh, get caught up in that kind of trendy, oh, we're not gonna do that anymore. Right, right, yeah. Um, okay, so since this is Library Voices mm -hmm. SC, do you have uh, any kind of personal library story you'd like to share? Anything that pops into your head? Yeah. Um, do you mean as as a librarian or as a patron? Or? As a, either, whatever okay. yeah. pops right yeah. into your head. Yeah. The thing that pops into my head is when I was an academic librarian in New Jersey, mm -hmm. and I was really just kind of getting into this uh larger dimension of EDI work, equity, diversity, inclusion work, and really trying to figure out my place in all of this. So mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of reading, going to a lot of workshops, and you know, doing all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I had a really good handle on that. And I'm sitting at the reference desk uh, on my regular uh, shift, and I hear this voice coming from behind me, because I was in an open, very large open room, and mm -hmm. the, the desk was in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I hear, hello. I was like, can you help me? And I'm, you know, thinking, where's what? that voice yeah. coming from, right? <laughs> so I turn around and I see a young woman who is uh, has vision impairment, mm -hmm. and she has uh, the walking cane. Mm -hmm. And so I jump up out of my seat. Oh, yes, of course. You know, how can I help you and, and things of that nature? And she said, I'm a little turned around, mm -hmm. and I need to get, I think maybe to the registrar or some other office that was outside of the building. Mm -hmm. 
And so I said, oh, sure, of course. I said, I can take you right over there. Mm -hmm. And she said, no. She said, I, I appreciate it. She's like, but I don't need you to go with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She said, what I need you to do is just put your hand on my elbow mm -hmm. and just guide me to the front door. Okay. And she's like, and I can take it from there. Okay. Um, and that was probably one of the most humbling moments mm. um, for me. And I'll be honest and say I cried like a baby because um, uh -huh. I was just I was just so overwhelmed. Um, not only with her bravery, mm -hmm. um, and I and I don't mean it to be uh, condescending to say that sure. I think she's brave, but mm -hmm. thinking of myself, if I had vision impairment, I would not probably would not have been on that campus. Right. It's a very large, busy campus. Mm -hmm. um, but also, she taught me. I think one of the most valuable lessons in that, you know, it's easy for us as professionals to say, we know what's best for you right? in the, in the library, mm -hmm. in services, in mm -hmm. collections, because, you know, we have degrees. That's right. We're the experts. We're the experts. Um, but we are never going to be more of an expert in someone's information needs than they are. That's a very good point. And that's what I say to my students until I'm blue in the face. Mm -hmm. um, it, you are never going to be more of an expert than they are. And mm -hmm. so to really emphasize this idea that we're supposed to be asking our patrons and our communities, yep. what what do you need? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we're supposed Conducting to be- Conducting a good reference interview. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be co-producing services. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what community engagement mm -hmm. and community literacy are all about. Um, and again, these are kind of uh, relatively new terms, if you will, mm -hmm. but this is the work that we've always done. This mm -hmm. is the work that we should be doing. We're just calling it something else now. Yep. Um, but it's about you know engaging them uh, so they have some agency mm -hmm. and ownership. Um, so yeah, that's what pops in my mind. That's probably one of the greatest lessons mm -hmm. that I mm -hmm. continue you know, to yep. carry with me. And as you were telling that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I would have asked, you know, I'll, I'll take you there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's one of the things we do in libraries. Right, we right, tend to be, right. we, we might have a little scowl on our face <laughs> at yeah. first, you yeah. know, because we're thinking about something right, else, because right. our brains are always yes, working, but yes. we do want to be as helpful yeah, as possible. Yeah. You know. And, you know, the I think maybe another lesson that comes out of that is that no one group is a monolith. Mm. Right. So there could have been another person mm -hmm. with a vision impairment who would have said, yes, please take me to exactly. the office. It boils down to the individual. Right. And it boils mm -hmm. down to, like, yeah. you, like you said, the reference interview, asking the question, what is mm -hmm. it that you need? Yeah. 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 Very true. Um, so what projects do you have coming mm -hmm. up? I know you are a very busy person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little too busy. Um, yeah. So I, I mentioned uh, the classes to you. So we're trying to you know, get those up and running mm -hmm. uh, into the curriculum so we can have a regular rotation beginning in January. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also doing uh, work in Augusta Baker's papers mm -hmm. um, with the goal of having uh, some articles, perhaps even a book come out of that. Um, and really I'm interested at this point in my career, I'm interested in, again, telling more stories. And mm -hmm. by, for me, that means digging into the, the archives. Mm -hmm. And so even um, I have some archives about a librarian, uh, another New York public librarian, uh, Lillian Lopez, mm. uh, who uh, came up with something called the South Bronx Project. Mm. And this was um, community literacy, mm -hmm. um, but in its very early stages, and what the outreach was that she was doing in the community in the 1960s. Wow. 
um, now that I'm here in South Carolina, um, I've learned about Ethel Bolden, mm-hmm. um, who was a school librarian, and yep. I found out there her papers are here too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was very excited about that. I think there's a Bolden scholarship, isn't yes. there? Yep. Yes, there mm-hmm. is at, at Richland, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found out okay. uh, about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, even. Um, Dr. Emily Clyburn passed not mm-hmm. too long ago, mm-hmm. and she you know she was a, she mm-hmm. was a librarian. So, you know, these are the stories that I'm particularly interested in telling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be doing you know some archival work uh, and things of that nature. And you know, once I get up and running a little bit more with some of the library systems, um, building uh, connections with Richland and Charleston and things of that nature, mm-hmm. um, I want to see what possibilities are there. Uh, for both research and teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know Richland has uh, social workers. Charleston mm-hmm. is on its way to that. I'm really interested in that connection between social work and libraries mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of debate about whether librarians should be social workers, right. particularly if they can't afford them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in digging a little deeper uh, in, into that uh, dimension as well. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been great. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.